calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello! Junkies, note we have two sponsors this week. They insist on a mid-roll, which means the ads pop up in the middle of the story. Gird your loins. It's not even three minutes of your time, and they help keep this podcast free. So listen in and just roll with it. Your audible reviews of Mount Fitzroy are kicking ass. We just passed 350 reviews, and it's only been out for two weeks. You Rock. If you finish the fits and haven't rated or reviewed it yet, please do so at audible.com and at Goodreads if you use that, and then at Amazon if you've got a little extra time. All of this stuff, believe it or not, helps me reach new readers. No, my friend, you can't keep the Sigler all to yourself as your pet author. Kept at the foot of your bed in a warm blanket. He's his own person. I know you love him, but he has to breathe the air of freedom. He has been called upon to spread the stank across the globe. Let him smear it, junkie. Let him smear it. Enough talk. Let's do the story so far, and then we're going to get at that gangster. Oi! Previously on The Gangster. Quentin Barnes has awoken from deep rejuve and is facing a major problem. Will his arm be healthy in time for the next Tier 1 season? Barnes has made a deal with GFL Commissioner Rob Frost to go to Earth and try an experimental therapy performed by Doc Ganagati, the GFL's chief surgeon, if Quentin's physiology is suitable for the process. But Quentin is facing another issue, perhaps a problem of the soul. Without Coach Hokor, he feels lost. Has Quentin truly accepted the coach's departure? In this episode, he will have no choice. And now, episode number three of The Gangster. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com store. History of the Game Wycor the Aware was to Commissioner Rob Frost as Massal the Efficient was to Greedock. 
The white-furred quith worker led Quentin and Becca down the regulator's white corridors. Whitecor was almost comical in appearance in that he dressed like a worker version of Commissioner Frost. White button-down shirt, red tie cinched around the collar that circled his torso just under his muscled pedipalp arms, black pants for his back-folded legs and stubby tail. His thick middle arms strained the fabric of his white sleeves. Many congratulations on your incredible Galaxy Bowl accomplishments, the worker said. You both played a fantastic game. Thank you, Becca said. Quentin heard Wycor's praise, but distantly. Black stripes lined the worker's white fur. The stripes reminded Quentin of Hokor's, which had been black on yellow. Becca nudged Quentin, getting his attention. She raised her eyebrows, tilted her head toward Wycor. Oh, Quentin said. Yeah, thanks. While Quentin had been under, doctors had seen to Becca's Galaxy Bowl injuries. The broken nose she'd suffered was mostly healed. She wore a thin metal brace over the bridge, which guided the nanocytes still mending cartilage and tissue. Doctors had also mended the big cut on her cheek. Only a thin, pink scar remained. Rebecca had opted to leave the natural scar, a constant reminder of her greatest day as a football player, when she'd scored the go-ahead touchdown that gave her team the GFL title when she'd been named Galaxy Bowl MVP. She wore her heavy black hair in a tight ponytail, as she often did when there were serious discussions afoot. Even though Quentin had been unconscious, he'd missed her. Being by her side again helped him cope with a difficult situation. Hokor. Quentin focused on the corridor walls, trying to think of something else. White walls, white floor, white ceiling, definitely a theme to the GFL's headquarters. Every few meters along the walls, the blazing colors of a team logo. Wolfpack, Vanguard, Pirates, Criminals, Krakens, and so on. This was the regulator's administrative section. It was one deck up from the medical, which was also all white, also neat, and clean. Was there any part of the ship that wasn't sterile in appearance? There were rumors, of course, about the hidden decks, where players with illegal mods were kept, where those players were questioned, where those mods were removed. Was Yitzhak on one of those hidden decks? Quentin tried to ignore the sudden slash of guilt. Someone on the touchback had been sending messages to the Zoroastrian Guild. Quentin had worked with Wycor and Yolanda Davenport to find out who. That who turned out to be Yitzhak Goldman, Kraken's backup quarterback. Frost had taken Zach away. Zach hadn't been heard from since. Why should Quentin feel guilty about that? Zach had been working with terrorists. According to Michael Kimberlin, a former guild member himself, Zach was the leader of the murderous Zoroastrians, or had been, anyway, before a schism split the guild into two factions. Kimberlin claimed Zach had led the good faction, whatever the hell that meant. Yes, Zach might very well be on the regulator. If he was, no one could help him. No ambassador or lawyer would come to his rescue. In many ways, the GFL was its own government, answering to no one but the Kretorakian Empire. Once you signed a GFL contract, even for Tier 3, the League owned your ass until the League was done with you. Zack got busted for being in the Guild. Kimberlin did not. Other than Quentin and Zack, 
Did anyone else in the Kraken's organization know that Kimberlin had been a member of that terrorist group? Jason Prognow had known. Jason Prognow was dead. Maybe Greedock knew, maybe he didn't. If he did, he didn't give a damn. Big Mike was a Kraken. As long as Kimberlin hadn't been involved with the touchback bombing, something Greedock would be investigating, all the leader cared about was if Mike could play ball or not. In that aspect, was Quentin all that different from Greedock? Quentin could have told Frost about Kimberlin's past, but had not. Why? Because Kimberlin was a starting offensive lineman. Without him, the Krakens might have lost the Galaxy Bowl. How messed up was that? Now, however, the Galaxy Bowl was over. Nothing to stop Quentin from telling Frost. Let the authorities deal with Kimberlin, a man who had knowingly abetted a terrorist organization, knowingly abetted terrorist acts. Let the authorities deal with the man who had spent countless hours tutoring Quentin in science, in math, in history, in politics. The man who had educated Quentin and asked for nothing in return. Let the authorities deal with the man who had followed Quentin to the Portath Cloud, the man who had risked his life to help rescue Janine and Fred. If Big Mike was truly done with the Guild, could Quentin turn him in? Considering all the atrocities committed by the ZG, could Quentin not turn him in? Quentin wanted to do the right thing. And he would, too, just as soon as he figured out what the right thing actually was. There was ample traffic in the regulators' corridors, sentients walking or flying this way and that. Most wore League-approved white. Humans of many skin tones. Workers, warriors, and leaders, with various fur colors. A few key. A few male scleral furballs scurrying along the floor. Perhaps the League was trying to be diverse in its hiring. Everyone, though, offered a smile, a nod, or some species-specific sign of respect. Quentin and Becca were the champs, after all. Wycor stopped at a door. Quentin was so lost in his thoughts, he almost ran the worker over. The door was just as white as everything else aboard the ship. Wycor opened the door, gestured for Quentin and Becca to enter. Frost was seated behind his desk. To his right stood the massive form of Leba the Gorgeous, retired linebacker turned assistant to Frost. More like the commissioner's bodyguard, perhaps, but word was Leba helped significantly with day-to-day administration and, in particular, with player relations. No white outfit for Leba, he wore only gray sweatpants. Like many Quith warriors, he didn't want to cover up his scars and engravings. Most of his torso was decorated with the green, black, and gold enameled logo of the Vic Vanguard, where Leba had been an all-pro. Frost gestured to the two chairs in front of his desk. Have a seat. Quentin sat. He'd been in Frost's office before. Becca had not. She stood there, staring wide-eyed at the room's unabashed splendor. Wood panel walls held glass cases full of football history, trophies, artifacts, statues, ancient helmets, and more. She leaned down to examine a particular trophy a full-size silver football atop a tapering, three-sided silver obelisk. Nice Super Bowl trophy replica, Becca said. Looks just like the one I won in Tier 3 with Green Bay. So interesting they never changed the ancient design. It's not a replica, Fro said. That's the real deal. 
from the year 1984. The Oakland Raiders were the champions of Earth. The trophy has been professionally restored, but it's the original. She gave Frost a suspicious glance. This trophy is seven centuries old? Really? Frost nodded. Really? The Raiders, Becca said. Just like your old PNFL team, Q. Quentin didn't bother to mention that, technically, it was his old team, that the McCovey Raiders were a transplanted Earth franchise with over 700 years of history. Becca turned in place, taking in the flat pictures of historic figures like Landry, Tittle, Brady, and Nagurski. She fixated on a black-and-white picture of Walter Camp, the man who had invented gridiron. Did she know who these men were? Probably not. Outside of hardcore sports historians, few sentients did. Oh, geez, Becca said. This stuff is amazing, don't you know? Your office is like a museum. Plenty of time to look at it later. Frost gestured to the chair to Quentin's right. Please, sit. Becca sat. Leba crossed his middle arms, then his pedipalp arms. Muscles rippled beneath his decorated chitin. While retired, he still looked like he could step on a field and start for any team in the league. Congratulations, champions, Leba said, his warrior voice so deep it seemed to make the wooden desk vibrate. A hint of envy in his words, perhaps. He'd been a dominant player, but had never won a title. Thank you, Becca said. Wycor shut the office door, then walked around the desk to stand by in the commissioner's left shoulder. Frost's chair was on a riser of some kind. His office was probably the only place where the short human could look GFL players eye to eye. The man normally had one expression, a hard stare. When that stare softened, he almost looked like a different person. I know this is a difficult time, he said. The death of your teammates, your coach, I can only imagine what that is like. The fact that you played so well after Sandoval's attack, it was impressive. Jonathan Sandoval, Hokor's murderer. Quentin closed his eyes. He tried to block out the memory of holding coach as he died, but there was no shaking it now. Hokor's broken body. The blood flecks inside his cornea. His dying words. Greedock is a criminal. He is not a true leader. He is not like you and me. He will never understand what it means to be part of a team. Hokor, asking Quentin to win the Galaxy Bowl. The light in Coach's eye fading, then going dark. Quentin sniffed, rolled out his neck. He didn't want to deal with this right now. It is what it is, he said. Sponsors help keep your podcast free, and here's a word from one of them, BetterHelp. Do you have some thought hiccups that keep hamstringing your happiness? BetterHelp is an online way to connect you with licensed therapists, safe and private, from the comfort of your own home. What's my thought hiccup? Brothers and sisters, I have many, which I'm sure you're aware, but the one that gets in the way of me bringing you more stories and me being happier about bringing you more stories 
are my ADD issues. I'm using a BetterHelp therapist to try and build successful strategies to cope with my ADD. But BetterHelp is about way more than just ADD. The company will help assess your needs and match you with a professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. They connect you with counselors to help you deal with things like sleeping issues, trauma, depression, family conflicts, LGBT matters, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, even anger issues. You get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling, and financial aid is available. If you want to give BetterHelp a try, as a Scott Sigler listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash Sigler. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sigler, S-I-G-L-E-R. Thank you. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor, Warby Parker. Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at 95 bucks, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. I've got three, come three pair of Warby Parker glasses, including my bomb prescription sunglasses straight out of the breakfast club, and brother and all three of them, I look good. Same quality as the glasses I used to get from my local optometrist, but way more affordable. You can use their try-in program and see how frames actually look on your real face. And your friends and fam and significant others can give you feedback when they see the real frames on your real face. Game changer. So here's where it gets nuts. You can try Warby Parker's free home try-in program. Order five pair of glasses to try in at home on your real face for free for five days. There is no obligation to buy. Ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pair of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash Sigler. And as an end-of-the-year treat, you can save 15% when you purchase two or more pairs of Warby Parker prescription eyewear, including eyeglasses or sunglasses. This is a limited-time offer that ends December 31st, 2020. So shake your booty over to warbyparker.com Sigler before time runs out. And now we're getting back to the story. Rose nodded once. At any rate, my condolences. The commissioner had been all business in Ganagati's office. Why the sudden show of understanding? You gave me your condolences after the attack, Quentin said. Once was enough. Becca's eyes snapped toward Quentin. Was she surprised by his disrespectful tone? He didn't care. Yes, the attack, Frost said. When are you going to tell me who was behind it? I gave my report to the Jupiter authorities. I read it. You claim to have no idea who wants you dead. I claim? You switch from sympathy to accusation pretty fast, Kamish. The hard stare returned to Frost's face. Who was behind Sandoval's attack, Barnes? Tell me. Quentin stayed silent. How could he say that the most likely culprit was the Zoroastrian Guild, hired by the Abernessia? a genocidal alien race supposedly en route with a massive invasion fleet hell-bent on wiping out life in the Milky Way. A fleet that no one knew about except for Petra Prawat, the warmongering living god of the Prawat race, a god that Quentin had just so happened to chit-chat with several times. 
How could Quentin say all of that when he still wasn't sure he believed it himself? And yet, Quentin had told Jason Prochnow and Michael Kimberlin about his chats with Petra, had told them that Petra thought Quentin could help unite the galaxy against the invading Abernessians. Prochnow had apparently told his higher-ups in the Guild. The Guild had more than likely hired Sandoval to take Quentin out. According to Petra, the Abernessians paid their underlings in gemstones, just like the ones found in Jason Prochnow's cabin on the touchback and on the corpse of Jonathan Sandoval. If it leaps like a Sklorno and cheeps like a Sklorno, Quentin had opened his big mouth, and because of that, Coach and Kopor were dead. Talking about this madness got people killed, a lesson Quentin had learned too late. He wasn't about to repeat his mistakes. He hadn't told anyone about the possible Guild Abernessia connection. Not Becca, not Fred, not Chodo, and he certainly wasn't going to tell Frost. I already told you, Commissioner. I don't know who tried to kill me. That much, at least, was the truth, because Quentin didn't know for sure. Sandoval had claimed he'd been hired by the Guild, but who knew if that was real? Gems were available to any sentient with money. Sentients like... J.T. Manis, the mega-rich owner of the Jupiter Jacks. Taking out the Kraken's QB before the Galaxy Bowl would have been a vicious thing to do, but also smart business. Or sentience like Anna Volani, the owner of the Orbiting Death. She hated Quentin and Greedock so much that she would probably do anything to keep them from winning the league title. You knew Sandoval had mods, Rose said. You kept quiet about that. If you hadn't, Hokor would still be alive. How dare you, she said. Don't you try to make this Quentin's fault. She was quick to defend, but Frost's words gutted Quentin anew, because they were accurate. If Quentin had told Frost about Sandoval, Sandoval might have been banned from GFL events. Coach might still be alive. The conversation with Kimberlin and Prochnow. Keeping quiet about Sandoval's mods. Was Quentin really at fault for Hokor's death? Maybe. Maybe not. What was done was done. Quentin had learned from his mistakes. No one could be trusted. Not Frost, not even Becca. When Quentin opened his mouth, people died. When he kept his mouth shut, people died. He felt so lost. He wanted to be done with this. Done with all of it. I won't go over this with you again, Quentin said. Especially not now. Froese looked away. Maybe we'll talk about it more after Hokor's service. Becca sat up straighter. She glanced at Quentin, obviously wanting to say something but not sure if she should. Go ahead, Quentin said. She faced Froese. I don't think Quentin should attend the solidity ceremony. Quentin hadn't been expecting that. Of course he had to go. He had to pay his respects to Coach. It's not safe, Becca said. Harlan Gardens is an open-air stadium. If whoever was behind the touchback attack makes another attempt on Quentin at the solidity ceremony, he'll be too exposed. Frost nodded, as if he'd expected that objection. Greedock was cheap with his security. I won't make the same mistake. Barnes, it is important that you go. If you don't, the Quith people will be offended. That could impact the league's brand. 
Quentin started to speak, but Becca leaned forward again, pressed her big fingers on the desktop. Leba stirred. Frost raised one hand to still the massive ex-linebacker. Becca didn't seem to notice that Leba had reacted like she might be a threat, because she had eyes only for Frost. This isn't about making your precious league look bad, Becca said. No OG's tone in her words now. This is about Quentin's safety, the safety of my teammates, and the safety of the other sentients who will be in attendance. Quentin didn't know what to say. Becca was right. He should have thought of the potential danger to the Krakens, to the innocent bystanders who would attend the service. He fidgeted in his seat, uncomfortable at the sudden stare-down between his fullback-slash-quarterback-slash-girlfriend and the GFL's most powerful sentient. Montaigne, I understand your concerns, Frost said. I feel the same way, which is why I will have a small army there to make sure everyone is safe. The full force of GFL security will be on the streets, outside the stadium, inside the stadium, and on the field. Trust me, Barnes will not be in danger. The stare-down continued for a few moments more. Finally, Becca shrugged. Then it's up to Quentin. She'd made her point. Quentin knew she would back his decision no matter what he wanted to do. I'll be there, he said. I won't miss Coach's funeral. Leba's baseball-sized eye narrowed. It is not a funeral, the warrior said. Do you know what a solidity ceremony is? Everyone looked at Quentin with a familiar, patient expression that said, of course he knows what it is. He did not. I assume they bury Hokor's remains, he said, or cremate him or whatever. Becca put her hand on his right forearm, the way she did when she needed to explain to him that he'd made some cultural mistake. When an esteemed quith dies, they are cremated, she said. Their ashes are compressed into a big diamond. The diamond is given to the quith's shamakath. Most of the time it is, Frost said. The shamakath is usually the executor of the deceased will and the disperser of the deceased assets. That includes the deceased remains. The diamond, the solidity. In Hokor's case, however, Greedock isn't the executor. I am. Becca leaned back, surprised. What? Does Greedock know? By now he does, Rose said. Yesterday I sent a messenger to inform Greedock of Hokor's final wishes. Frost opened a desk drawer. He placed a small, black velvet box on the desktop. Quentin had three boxes similar to it. Two contained his PNFL championship rings, one his ring from Galaxy Bowl 27. The commissioner slid the box forward. Barnes, this is for you. Quentin stared at the box, not quite processing what was happening. An uncomfortable truth wormed at his subconscious, tried to wriggle its way to the surface. Your teammates will get their championship ring soon, Frost said. You'll get one, too, just like theirs. But this one, he tapped the black velvet box, is special. It's what Hokor wanted. Open it. Quentin didn't want to open it. The worm wriggled faster. Frost opened it for him. Inside, a platinum championship ring reflected the overhead lights. On one side of the ring, the Galaxy Bowl 28 logo with the game score below it. INF 21, Jupiter 10. 
On the other side, Barnes number 10, above a Kraken's helmet, done in jewels of black and orange. On the ring's flat face, black enamel letters set into the platinum. Galactic arced across the top, champions arced across the bottom. Between those letters, slightly left of center, a single dark blue stone. To the right of that stone, three images of Galaxy Bowl trophies, each representing the Kraken's franchise three league titles done in clear diamonds. The big stone on your teammates' rings will be orange, Frost said. Hokor's last will and testament stated that if anything happened to him, he wanted a part of his solidity left to the best player he'd ever coached. Quentin stared at the ring. The stone, a deep blue. Was that Hokor? You're kidding me, Quentin said. This is a sick joke. Froese shook his head. It's not. It's highly unconventional, but it's what the hook chest wanted. Becca's hand, squeezing Quentin's forearm. He stared at the ring. It became the center of the galaxy, all existence spinning around it. It's blue. Quentin heard his own words as if they were spoken by someone else, someone talking for him while he remained stunned and mute. Are they all dark blue like that? There is boron in Quethkaiten, the worker said. It sometimes colors our final solidity, although when that happens, it is usually a pale blue. Darker stones are rare. A cobalt blue, like Hokor's, is rarest of all. It is a sign, Liba said. It is no surprise, considering the hook chest accomplishments. It shows that he was destined for greatness. The universe turned. Images of Hokor's broken body flashed. Quentin stared at the ring. He couldn't bring himself to touch it. If I were you, Froze said, I'd keep this ring out of Greedock's sight. If anyone is to wear a gem made of Hokor's remains, it should be his Shamakath. If Greedock sees your ring, I can't even guess how he'll react. Greedock and his bracelets, his necklaces, his bracers. Quentin wondered how many of the leader's glimmering jewels were actually made from the ashes of his vassals. Froese closed the box. The stone in that ring is a small part of Hokor's final solidity, he said. A larger stone will be used for the official ceremony. Greedock wanted that ceremony to be held at Ionath Stadium. Hokor wanted it in Harlan, where he was born, wanted his primary diamond displayed at Harlan Gardens, the stadium where he first coached a GFL team. I'm sure Greedock will try to fight it, but my power as commissioner ensures that the Empire backs my decisions. Brost pushed the ring box closer to Quentin. Take it, the commissioner said. Quentin reached out a trembling hand. He lifted the box. It felt heavier than anything he'd ever known. He set it back down, softly, on the desktop. His hands fell into his lap. That stone was Coach. Coach was gone. Gone forever. Thank you, Commissioner, Quentin heard Becca say. Quentin appreciates this. We'll make sure Greedock doesn't find out. Quentin saw a hand appear from nowhere, Becca's hand, and pick up the ring box. He stared at the now empty spot atop the desk. Q, come on. Becca's voice. A hand 
squeezing his shoulder, urging him to stand. Come on, let's get you back to the Hypatia. That voice, the voice of the sentient he loved more than any other, more than anything he'd ever known, calling to him. It'll be all right, Becca said. Come with me. I've got you. He stood. He listened to her voice, her constant, soft, soothing voice, and let it guide him out of the office. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Heaven's a Lie by the band Lacuna Coil. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues— And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.